afternoon or right after noon today for lunch for our Pluckers Wing Fan Lunch, having a bit of a technical issue to start the program. That means I am here, Aaron Hogan, with uh, Snoop Daniel through the glass. And Craig Way, the aforementioned voice of the Longhorns, is uh, on the phone. Craig, good morning. Hey, you know, when you come out here, Aaron, bring equipment, you know, broadcast equipment. You know, that might help. No, I, you know, there's a technical issue, and they'll try to get it, uh, try to get here. But, uh, uh, you know, Pluckers, uh, the research location, 183 in Burnett, obviously, is where our wing lunch will be uh, taking place. Our uh, our uh, uh, wing, we, we kind of, you know, with you, try to kind of settle in on this because it's more than just guys, it's guys and girls so we've said kind of our wing folks lunch or or wing wing people did you did you ultimately decide on what I, I just do? call it the wing fan lunch the wing fan lunch because fans that are no like no that. gender when wing fan lunch um because the wingman is the name where it comes from but we, we know there every every friday before a home game craig there's plenty of female males in attendance who love their longhorns and want to win those tickets and eat some wings and have some bud lights and yes yeah, so a wing fan lunch uh, before every home game, so we've got two more today, and then of course the game with Baylor. Now I don't know how that one's going to go. That's a Friday game, so maybe it'll be a Tuesday. We're doing it event. on Wednesday. Okay, Wednesday then. Wednesday. Perfect. It'll be day before Thanksgiving. Oh man! So feast before the feast. feast. You know, get your get your wings all done before Thanksgiving feast. So it'll be the day before is when we're doing that. So I guess that's uh, the twenty third. I believe it is. Yes, so it'll it is. Be, yeah, it'll be. Uh, It'll be on Friday. But uh, just to update, uh, there's some there's some progress being made here, and I think we'll be completely up and running by the bottom of the hour. Now, Aaron, a, 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 there's a couple of things to do. First of all, to uh, introduce, of course, uh, the guy behind the glass, our erstwhile producer, uh, a guy who was totally dialed into what was going on with the local high school football scene, although I know he had some interest in the basketball that was going on at Moody Center last night. Jonathan, John Donaldson, Jay, Jay Donaldson. We know him as Snoop Daniel. What did you ultimately decide to do, Snoop? Did you did you make the trek up I-35 to see your alma mater, DeSoto, fight off a very brave and a very stubborn Weiss Wolves team? Or did you hang out at the Mood and catch the Longhorns 82-31 beatdown of Houston wow. Well, Craig, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to witness that butt-beating but I'm sure that the Horns will play and win plenty more. So I went up to support my Weiss Wolves where I didn't see uh, any press from the area. So I wanted to go support them and also to go hug my mom. Uh, so Aww. Anyway. And so you got to see DeSoto well, last and, night. And now DeSoto's got a couple of Longhorn commitments, right? Trey, Trey Wisner and yes, uh, John Jonte Cook. Cook. And they both went off. Did they? And it was a good game. It was a competitive game for a while. Weiss was hanging with them for a while. So I uh, completely understand that. Hey, hey. Um, uh, Snoop, I'm glad you brought up uh, your mom, and do hug your moms when you get a chance. Uh, the reason I've been out the last couple of days, and some folks have known about this, but did, we haven't really talked about it on the air much. Uh, uh, my mom passed away early Wednesday morning after I finished up with the uh, TCU press conference, and I had a sit-down with Sonny Dykes, the head coach of the Hornbrook, and we're going to hear that coming up here in just a few minutes. But... Um, I knew that uh, my, my mom had, uh, her condition had taken a turn for the worse, and she was at a uh, facility in Plano. So I raced over there, and I was able to spend a few hours with her. Uh, and then uh, she passed away uh, late uh, Tuesday night into the early hours of Wednesday morning. Uh, there have been a lot of folks, including certainly 
RARN family who have been nothing short of wonderful through this. I, I'm grateful to you. My, my family's grateful to you and appreciate all of that. Uh, there's going to be a memorial service uh, next Thursday up in Dallas. Uh, but um, so anyway, my mom lived to be 90, and she she had an incredibly uh, wonderful, rich-filled life, which included she grew up in uh, Jersey City, New Jersey, and uh, as a teenager was singing on the radio in New York City <laughs> and uh, had studied at Herbert Berghoff's acting school. Uh, I think she was there at the time with uh, – Joanne Woodward, who ended up, of course, being a successful actress and married to Paul Newman all those years, but um, uh, she uh, she uh, sang in nightclubs in New York in the early uh, in the early 50s. Met my dad, uh, and then uh, they moved down to North Carolina. My dad was from North Carolina; he was up there on uh, at station up there with the army, and then uh, moved down and had five kids and a slew of grandchildren and great grandchildren and. She kind of had a second tier of her life after my father passed away 30 years ago. She moved out to Hawaii, to Kona, where my sister was living at the time, uh, had been widowed over a decade, met a wonderful man there uh, after a, a, a senior citizen courtship of about a year. They married, and they were married for about five years until he passed away, and she stayed out there a while longer, and then wanted to be closer to her children and grandchildren, moved back to the States uh, for the last uh, – 10 years of her life and so she had a great life um and it was i was i was glad to be able to be by her side uh, at the end but i just wanted to say that because i know a lot of folks wondered where i was and you know i was bouncing back and forth and and uh was able to you know i was up there i came back to host longhorn weekly with coach sark and uh sark and the texas family have been tremendous uh to me throughout this and and vic schaefer and chris beard and everybody reaching out. So I want to thank them for that as well as uh, my ARN family. Everybody's been great. And, um, and so there was a basketball game last night and, and um, we're back in the, we're back in the realm again today. So anyway, I just, I just wanted to pass that along before we go on from there. Uh, All right. So Aaron, I know how valued you are in, you are to the high school football uh, playoffs. So uh, I'm, I'm going to get your canvas, your thoughts, as well as that of Snoop's, because before we get to the Sunny Dykes interview, we have to make way for our Whataburger Top 5. Now, it's time for the Whataburger Top 5. Okay, prepare to receive. Today's edition. Here we go. Top 5 matchups of the week. Here's Craig Wayne. All right, Craig, take it away. Whataburger Top 5. All right, so Aaron, you know how this this works. We have a different Top 5 every day. Top 5 performances of the weekend on Monday. Top 5. Uh, the one double meat with cheese edition, the updated state rankings on Tuesday. Snoop has his top five players to watch on Wednesday. Top five road trips on Thursday. These are the top five matchups of the week. Now, I always feel a little funny saying this when we get to the playoffs because every game counts the same. If you win, you advance. If you lose, your season is over. So, I, I always like to say this. In very George Orwell, very Orwellian animal farm type characteristic all playoff games are created equal but some playoff games are more equal than others um so, so there's some that are that are they're pretty good I, and and as snoop always likes me to have a tie at number five so i have a tie at number five um one of those is the game that we'll have on coke fm tonight lbj and elgin now lbj of course sweat through their their district uh series the district games 
and uh, wound up outscoring the final five district opponents, 337 to nothing, uh, eight and two. Jamal Finner's got a great deal going, and we're, we're due to visit with him this morning, too, if we can get uh, our technical issues uh, all resolved here. They're playing an Elgin team. It's a great story going from winless to seven and three, Snoop. Uh, and a lot of purple on the field tonight in Nelson Field, but Snoop, that's that, it's a great story for Elgin no matter what happens. And I think the crowd is going to be insane tonight. Uh, it's going to be the biggest game day atmosphere. I mean, obviously the playoffs, but I'm – I'm interested in this matchup. Yeah, and, and what a great town, Elgin. And, Craig, I, I think if it's right, Elgin's first playoff games in, in like eight years. Yeah, it's 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 been a, it's been a minute. Yeah. So, uh, it's a great story, and I know the folks up there in northern Bastrop County are excited. I wonder if Chad Hastings will make it out there. He's got a, he's got a daughter there at Elgin, so uh, we'll, we'll have to see all that. All right, the, the, the game that it's tied with, uh, and, Stu, I think you said you had this on your top five road trips because it's a roadie. Cedar Park's got to go down to Bull Verde or Spring Branch, to be exact. They got to go down the the spine of the, the corridor down towards San Antonio, down 281, that scenic drive, to take on those Smithson Valley Rangers. A difficult place to play. Smithson was down for a couple of years in their final years as a 6A program. They drop the 5A, and boom, they take off. They go nine and one, win their district. Cedar Park. Uh, we said Aaron was the best one in five team in Texas, then the best two and five team, then the best three and five team, and then the best four and five team. They took a step back with the loss to Georgetown, but they might be the best four and six team. Uh, Snoop, the computer, like Smithson by 21. Whoa. Right. I don't know that I agree with all that. I think that's a little healthy. Uh, on that. Well, Isaiah um, King and Brady Elford, big parts of the Black Rain defense, to try to keep that score lower. That's what they'll try to do. Yep, uh, and and just kind of keep it between the tackles and see what they can do there. I agree. I agree with you there. All right, number four on our Whataburger top five matchups of the week, right around the corner, not far away from any of us here and here because it's so centrally located at Venerable House Park. You got McCallum hosting Waco University. Uh, Waco U is another interesting story, Aaron. Another team that was winless a year ago. And they're all excited and all on fire for the Trojans up there, what they did. They had a chance to finish second and would have tied for the district title against Belton, but for a last-second loss a week ago. They had scored a touchdown, went for two, went up 29-28, and Belton was able to get it down the field and kick a game-winning walk-off field goal. So, uh, Waco U drops to third in the three-way tie break. Rouse winds up getting the number two spot, so it's going to be a tough assignment for McCallum. But the Knights who quietly went about their business for a 7-3 and record and a second-place finished LBJ in 12-5A Division II. I hope McCallum, because the Austin ISD bond passed for all of the uh, athletic improvements across the area, that they uh, go out there and give a good performance to uh, to, to give the, the voters a, a, a sigh of confidence. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah that's, a great, that's a great point there. Um, okay, so that's uh, number four on the matchups. Number three on our uh, Whataburger Top 5. Well, it's a game over in Drip tonight. Maynard and Dripping Springs. Uh, live telecast with that on KBVO, by the way. And uh, you know, Drip with the marvelous season, Aaron, and you got a chance to see him 9-1 and one and Austin Novoside and the outstanding defense. Maynard is coming on now here late. Now, they're having to do this without their quarterback, Quintalen Joyner. He was suspended back a few weeks ago for the rest of the season. So he's out. But... They're running it on the sturdy legs, clearly, of older brother Quentin Joyner, who had that 
you know, 395-yard effort a week ago. So Maynard's coming right now. No question. And, yeah, I mean, uh, that, as Bucky said earlier, that guy, that single running back can keep you in the game. But that uh, Dripping Springs Tiger run, rush defense, pretty salty. I think they give up 11 uh, under 11 points per game uh, for the season so they can get after it. Well, the key for me, Stoops, see what you think about this. The key for me on this deal is can that uh, Maynard defense, which was really good early in the year and then got kind of leaky for a while, but they got good late, can they – uh, get it together and uh, be able to put, you know, the clamps, get that pass rush on Nova side because it, it was proven, Westlake proved this, that uh, if you can get enough pressure on Nova side, it makes him more like any quarterback, ineffective. And if that happens, then you can, you know, you can really neutralize the rest of the offense. That's going to be the key to that one, I think. Um, uh, number two on the matchups. Georgetown at Canyon. Uh, Canyon has, has had a great year, 9-1. and one. Georgetown, we know, uh, finishing on a high note. They wound up as a three-way tri-champion in 11-5 AD1, but on the point differential, it wound up being uh, the, the uh, number one seed going to A&M Consolidated, the number two seed going to College Station. Georgetown, the three seed, it's kind of a hard luck deal because Canyon's really good. So uh, they finished as the runner up the Smithson Valley. But I like that matchup for the Eagles. I really, and I think uh, I'll pull it up, but I think the computer likes the Eagles too by a, by a small margin in this one deal. Uh, you know, Stoop, how about your thoughts on, uh, on Georgetown and Canyon? down uh, in the New Braunfels ISD tonight. Well, I've never agreed with the computer more. He's finally come to his senses, <laughs> and uh, Noah Boris and Andrew Petter are going to be more well-known across the state, as well as the Blue Storm defense. Not a lot of people saying their names, but Ian Lewis and uh, uh, Leo Diaz and uh, Landon Leggett, lots of good special players on the defensive side. Yeah, okay, all right. Well, I, I understand what you're saying there. You may not agree with the computer, but you will have to admit the computer has been right very, very, very often. It's, it's rare that the computer misfires, which would be good news for Georgetown because the computer likes the Eagles by three in this one. Um, so All right. uh, just to let you know. All right, kicker Aaron Guzman uh, for Georgetown. He's a soccer star, too, so he might win it for him. All right, there you go. Uh, and the number one, the top matchup of the week, I think everybody knows it, uh, uh, it's. We knew it was going to be good when when Valley Sports Southwest picked it for its first live telecast of a by district playoff game tonight. Lake Travis Round Rock, uh, there at Dragon Stadium. Uh, of course, uh, Dragons won the matchup two years ago, 35-21, and ran some good trick plays and and uh, had had really good defense and took advantage of Lake Travis mistakes and. And uh, it was hard for me to get a read, Aaron, on on how Bucky felt about this matchup tonight. Yeah, I think it's hard to get a read on Lake Travis. They've been kind of up and down, had that real tough non-district schedule, and then the quarterback situation, and then they didn't play the final game with Bowie. Uh, He made it pretty clear he he knows that uh, Round Rock has a very tough defense, and this is going to be a heck of a ball game tonight. Uh, I, I, I don't know, what does the computer say about this game tonight? The computer likes Round Rock. By one point. Oh, wow. Now, that's the kind of game I think it'll be. <laughs> By the way, several people on the text line, Craig, as you, you get to the top of the uh, Whataburger Top 5, have asked about, and I know Jeff will love this, the, the Gerald win last night over the top seed. Gerald got a big win last night, did they not? They did. The four seed over the one. You might say, fellas, it was a divine victory there you go. over the Warhorse. 
They beat the Divine War Horses uh, 32-14. Great win. That's a four beating a one. It does not happen that often. Uh, there, Jeff, to his credit, texted um, uh, Snoop and I late last night with a photo of that. Now, I will not read the text because um, it's not that it wouldn't be well, it wouldn't be fit for on air. It's not profane, but it's but it wouldn't necessarily be uh, fit for on air. Wouldn't you agree, Snoop? Uh, right. Uh, you know, it, it, well, it, you were the first one, Snoop. You you texted a picture, uh, and uh, now did you wind up going there on your way back from DeSoto? No, I I, I I didn't. But I was you know watching and monitoring, and I saw the Gerald bus leaving. Uh, to Dallas, and then coming back, I saw the street sign for Gerald ahead. So it was something about Gerald in the air. Well, it, it uh, you know, Snoop uh, uh, texted a picture to Jeff and I of the scoreboard with 41 seconds to go, showing Gerald up 32-41. The photo comes from the Cougar sideline. And, and Snoop goes in all caps, upset alert, Cougars take down one seed divine. And then Jeff said, "Yeah, well, I'm not going to. Yeah, I'm not. I'm really family not show. Say it, but yeah, I'll have yeah, him yeah, say it. Gonna... If <laughs> where is Jeff? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Jeff will be on with me once uh, we can get the things you know <laughs> ironed out here. The technical issue. Let him so, say anyway, it. Anyway, yeah, yeah, right. So anyway, it was a it, a great win for the Cougars in the by district round. That's that. There's no doubt. That's a that's a huge story. So there it is." You're uh, Whataburger top five plus one. Uh, Aaron, you pointed out earlier, uh, easy uh, rollover wins, obviously, for Westlake. Westlake, from the text that I was getting, started, I don't know if sluggish is the right way to put it, but maybe just a little bit off their stride. Cedar Ridge got the early touchdown, then the kickoff return makes a big difference in Westlake really kind of kicked it into high gear after that so yeah. they're just they're so know, hard uh, to, they're, that defense is so hard to put sustained drives against over and over again you may get a touchdown maybe a field goal but uh, that's why they've won 51 in a row Craig it's it, it just they're going to tighten the screws and and you're just not going to be able to score enough points it's it's you know that's that's why they keep winning yeah and their special teams have been good and when yeah. you've got great house back they're returning kicks it makes a difference in Jack Kaiser as well so uh, Westlake through to round two 51 in a row as Aaron mentioned uh, and again that Lake Travis Crown Rock game you'll hear it on the horn uh, tonight um, uh, I am doing the, the telecast of it for Valley Sports Southwest uh, Gary Reasons and I are doing the doing the call of that but hey I'm going to tell people don't listen to, to, to my tones you know turn us down turn up uh, Mark Honick and Bucky and Stu, you can watch us sync it up. That's what that's that's what my wife does. You know, Linda syncs up watching the Texas games with our call, and not not that difficult to do. So you can just do it, do, do it on the Horn app, and then uh, and then sync it up. You can pause the live TV to catch up to it. So anyway, uh, that's there's a live telecast of that. There's a live telecast of Maynard Dripping Springs. So there's there's good action going on all around the area la- uh, tonight as well as there was last night. And congratulations to Wimberley. 81 nothing over San Antonio Young Men's Leadership Academy. I asked Doug Warren. We had him on uh, the television show last Friday night, Aaron. I said, how much you know about San Antonio YMLA? And he reminded me, he said, quite a bit, actually. They were in our district for two years. Yeah. When uh, before the, you know the before being realigned in a different district, so I, that's a that's a really good defense. Looks like they got their code red defense 
uh, going again, and obviously their offense has been a story as well. So it's a, it's a really good story there. All right, uh, so there is our Whataburger Top 5. Now, before we get to the break, uh, we wanted to go ahead and get an early edition of this, Snoop. Let's, uh, let's get to an early edition of our Longhorn Notebook this hour. Longhorn Notebook. A Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Erin Bowersock, the home loan expert. She's your Longhorn lender. Check her out on the web at bowersockteam.com. As I mentioned on Tuesday, I did go up for the news conference at TCU and had an opportunity to sit down. We sat down in his office, same spot where he was when he did his, uh, when he did his thing for uh, ESPN with the college football playoff thing. We sat down in his office. I've known him a long time, great guy. Uh, but we had an opportunity to talk with the head coach of the Horn Frogs, Sonny Dykes, about his team's 9-0 and start, the keys to how it's all gotten going, and this matchup with Texas. I was all set to ask you something based on a conversation we had back in July at coaching school, and it was all about building a program and that sort of thing. And yet I was struck by something you said at the news conference about how guys with leadership abilities can help, I guess, shorten the learning curve about something. Is that one of the things that you discovered as time went on when you were starting out here? Yeah, I think so. I think every team has a different kind of makeup. And sometimes you've got teams where you have these great leaders, but they're not always your best players. And so there's always a little bit of credibility that those guys have to deal with, you know, and we were fortunate when we came here in that some of the best players on our team were also the best leaders on our team. And they were really unselfish guys. I think it helped us pretty quickly when those guys decided, hey, look, we're jumping in with both feet and we're not just going to stick our toe in the water and, you know, we're going to jump in and we're going to fully commit and there's going to be some faith, maybe that's blind faith in some ways, just because we don't know you and we don't know your scheme and we don't know how you're going to deal with us and all the things that are important to those guys. But they dove in from the very get-go and I think it had a huge impact on our ability maybe to get going a little faster than anticipated. One of the other things I was really struck by, something you said, when it comes down to goals and expectations and things like that about, you know, we always hear about don't be afraid to set your goals too high. And yet you talked about sometimes those things can even trap you into a zone and leaving it open-minded to your guys, I think has contributed to you getting off to this kind of start. Yeah, I think so. I just think you have to be careful. I think that you have to always be honest with your players. And in our honest assessment coming out of spring football was, you know, look, we have some serious issues from a depth standpoint in some places on our team. And in other places, we're really good. And so we had to go out and we had to address that the best we could with the transfer portal and then you know you fill in and you hope that you got the right people and you hope that they can produce and then you know about three weeks into fall camp I remember walking off the field one day and saying you know I think we have a chance to have a good football team and you know and then going from there and and so from that point it's all about building confidence and continuity and it's about just the best players continuing to invest and make sure that they're productive and just all the things that go along with it and being flexible as coaches and making sure that you're putting guys in the right positions and giving them a chance to be successful. So, you know, we felt like we had an opportunity, but at the same time, you know, it's just hard to know really. And I hadn't been in the big 12 in a long time. And so for us, it was, we have a bunch of good players, but they still, all the pieces still have to fit together. And I'm just a big believer that if you're really going to have a great football team, you've got to be better collectively than you are individually. And you've got to just figure out a way to do that. And again, when your leaders are really unselfish guys and team first guys, that certainly helps. How much has the transfer portal in your thought, and it sounds like our panel discussion, but back in July changed what college football is all about? Has it revolutionized it? Has it been really, really good for it overall? Is it blessings and curses? Your thoughts on the portal? Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I I think it is. I think it all depends on your perspective. I've always believed that 
players should have freedom. I mean, look, we have freedom as coaches. We can all leave a job and go take another job. And my thought was, well, why would we not do the same for young people? In particular, when they had, you know, reasons to leave and reasons to move on. But at the same time, you know, you also don't want to teach guys to give up too quickly. And so there's a balance there. You want to always make sure that young people are informed so they can make really good decisions. You want to see them do well and you want to see them have success. And sometimes as adults, we talk them into doing things for our own selfish reasons. I mean, it's definitely complicated, but I do think when you do look around college football right now, you know, you do see a lot of first-year coaches having a lot of success, and I think a lot of that has to do with the transfer portal, and certainly it does with us here. Had we not been able to go out and add some players, I have no doubt this would not be our record right now. I think if you ask Lincoln Riley that at USC, he'd probably feel the same way, and just a host of other guys that have gone to programs and have had success in year one, and so I do think that it has made rebuilds a little bit easier and allowed you to do it a little bit more quickly. One guy who's definitely not a transfer is Max Duggett, and how good has he been in terms of his ramp? up with what you even saw on tape before you got here and then what he has done this season yeah well you saw you saw kind of periods of greatness for max in the past you know just where you know he would make this play and you would just go wow that was really something you know and just kind of shake your head and then and then maybe make a mistake two plays later and so what we tried to do with max is allow him that creativity to make those wow plays but at the same time get him comfortable enough with what we're doing on offense and confident enough with what we're doing and then i think the biggest thing is convincing him look you don't have to go win the game you know we have a bunch of good players here spread the ball around to those guys and let them do what they do and then collectively go win the game together and so i do think that he's playing with a ton of confidence i think he's got a lot of belief in his, uh, his teammates and their capabilities and i think he's got a belief in our system and in what we're trying to do and our day one coaching thing is look, let's don't ask people to do things that they can't do or they're not good at doing and let's play off people's strengths and we've tried to make some adjustments of what we ask him to do and and he's just flourished with everything that we've asked him to do up to this point and and the biggest thing is he's just been a an emotional stability leader for us I mean he's just been incredibly stable there's been no up and downs with him he just has that maturity that permeates your program and that competitive fire burns hot with him and I think has made a big difference is it a similar thing in terms of the ramp up and what Kendra Miller has given you yeah for sure I mean Kendra's Kendra's what we thought he, he could be. I mean, you know, I think as coaches, sometimes you have these ideas of what players can be, and sometimes they have a hard time reaching those, and, and Kendra hasn't. I mean, Kendra, I think, has, has exceeded our expectations and incredibly durable. He gets stronger as games go along. He finishes runs and competes hard and, you know, and just has a has a remarkable balance and explosiveness for somebody with his skill set. And so he's he's a heck of a running back. And as I said earlier, his best strength is he's good in, he's good in the first quarter. He's good in the second quarter. He's better in the third quarter. And he's great in the fourth quarter. And that's allowed us to finish some games and to be able to come back from some deficits that we wouldn't have been able to do without his strength and his physicality later in the ball games. How about your thoughts on Texas? When you look at them, what do you see? Well, I mean, you see a typical Texas team from a talent standpoint. You know, a lot of guys that, that can run, a lot of athletic guys, big up front on both lines of scrimmage, um, you know, powerful, a lot of playmakers. And, you know, and you can tell that they're getting better and improving and starting to become really comfortable with what they're doing and getting settled in. I think they're playing their best football right now and, you know, just a very, very good football team. What turns this game ultimately, you feel, between these two teams? Well, I think it's similar to what it is kind of every week, but probably even more magnified this week in terms of we've done a good job taking care of the ball this year, no, not turning it over. I think it's going to be really important for us this week. I think every possession is important when you play against an offense like Texas. And so you've got to maximize your possessions. You 
can't have penalties. You got to execute well. You got to avoid third down and long. You know, stay ahead of the chains. And I think that's always important. And then explosive plays. You've got to tackle the best that you can. And, you know, you're going to have to tackle one of the best running backs in college football, if not the best. It's very hard to tackle. It's physical and finishes runs and does things that great backs do. But he's difficult to defend. He just is very good at what he does. So, you know, limiting explosive plays are important and then trying to create some on offense as well. That sounds like a uh, similar philosophy to what uh, Coach Sark has talked about as as well. Um, so there, and uh, you know, Aaron, I know you guys had uh, Landry Burdine on uh, this morning to talk about it, and and you heard me, uh, and I asked uh, Sark on uh, Longhorn Weekly about. Um, I asked uh, Sark on Longhorn Weekly about the differences between the Gary Patterson coached Horn Frogs and. Uh, and then, and then the Sonny Dykes coached Horn Frogs, and he said a very similar thing. Uh, Landry Burdine said this morning on uh, with Bucky and Aaron this morning, where he said they're just it's different comparisons. They're just a lot different in the way it's the way it's done. So there it is. There's a conversation with Sonny Dykes, the head coach of the TCU Horn Frogs. Obviously, uh, our technical issues have been straightened out now. And now uh, we're at Pluckers. Uh, we need a break. When we come back, Jeff Howell will join me, and we'll continue here with. Light the tower on the horn, 1049-1019, AM twelve sixty. However you want to describe it, we've got that coming up. I prefer wing folk. I, I know you do. He's our kin folk. He's the pride of Northwest Williamson County. He's a proud graduate of Florence High School. Always. Uh, you know him best, however, for his outstanding work at Horns 24-7. Jeff Howe on board. Uh, we'll get Jeff's thoughts on the Gerald playoff victory. He did comment to us on a text last night. We'll get his thoughts on that coming up. But it is playoff time of year. Which means it's time for our weekly conversation brought to you by the great folks at Texas Truck and Trailer. Joining us for our weekly conversation on the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina Hotline, the head coach of the LBJ Jaguars, Jamal Fenner, whose Jags opened the bye district round of the playoffs in the friendly confines of I.I. I. Nelson Field tonight hosting the Elgin Wildcats. Like I said, it's going to be a lot of purple and white on the field tonight over on the east side. Jamal, I appreciate the time. How are you this morning? I'm doing well. Always great, you know, game day. So doing well. And and good to be able to have a home playoff game, isn't it? Uh, for, for your guys to do. I know you had uh, homecoming a couple of weeks ago, uh, and then finished the regular season on the road with the win. But but nice to have uh, a, a a first round playoff game anyway on the uh, familiar home turf, isn't it? Yeah, that's always a great thing, you know, to be able to play, you know, at home and first-round playoff game. So, yeah, we're excited about getting that opportunity to play at home. Yeah, Jamal, ex- expanding on that, uh, j- to be able to host a playoff game at Nelson, what does it mean not just for your kids and the LBJ community, uh, but for everybody on the east side to, to have you guys playing well and, and playing right in your backyard? Yeah, I think it's just give everybody an opportunity to come out and support. You know, I think uh, – LB, the LBJ community is going to be excited about it. I know the Northeast Austin community will be excited about it. And uh, just having a home playoff game, you know, we can get, get a good crowd out. Jamal, uh, there, there's been, I'll put it in, the, in these terms, um, friendly uh, concern about just how tested your team is going into the playoffs based on the competition uh, in, in District 12-5A Division Two, and, and see if you agree with me on this or not. Uh, what my answer has been is, first of all, your guys got tested in, in the non-district portion of the season. Uh, folks uh, forget you played a, what was turned out to be a 6A playoff team in Weiss. Uh, 
uh, beat them, played another 6A playoff team in your season opener, lost to Maynard, and you played the best private school program in the state uh, there in uh, Parish Episcopal, dropped that game. So you were at one and two and then got it into high gear once you got to district play. But even the last game of the regular season, Crockett winds up being a playoff team, and, and they hung with your guys for a little while, certainly in the first half. So you feel comfortable about how tested your guys have been as you enter the by-district round tonight? Well, I'll agree with you. You know, non-district was the test, you know, and we felt like we were able to identify the issues that we were having, you know, with, with having a new season and new kids and a, and a young team. And so we feel like we've addressed those issues. And irregardless of the competition level in district, we saw our kids play clean football. And so, um, you know, all of that matters. But like I told my kids and I've been telling them over and over, it's all about us. You know, it's about how we decide to come out and play and about us not making mistakes. And when we get an opportunity, just making plays. So, yeah, I feel really confident, you know, about this team. And I see a lot of the, you know, same talent and, and heart and desire and passion to go play. So we just don't focus on us. It's Texas high school football. And we're excited to be in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, you just got Trey Young Henderson back from injury. Uh, how's it been getting him back into the mix? And uh, any update on Brandon Waits and his injury? It's good to Trey back. Uh, Trey uh, made some plays in, spe- in the special teams game for us last week, and we just kind of slowly, gradually getting them back in the mix. Played a little few offensive reps last week. He'll be playing some offense and defense this week. So, yeah, he's, he's a big-time player for us, and we feel like he's going to be able to contribute. And then Brandon Waits is still uh, nursing a hamstring injury, and he, he still kind of, you know, doesn't feel confident about it. So we, we're going to wait until he's ready to go to get him back in the mix, and he's fully confident. Well, it does help, doesn't it, when you have a freshman in Caleb Crenshaw to to have that number two spot behind uh, Cedric Alexander uh, to to go for it. That does make a difference, doesn't it? It does. You know, Caleb has really shown that he's ready, you know, and he's a, a very sharp IQ kid, uh, understands the game and his responsibilities, and just kind of bought into his role, you know, of, of being a second running back and being able to contribute. And he's made a ton of plays, so we're really confident about Caleb and his contribution to making this playoff run. Visiting with Jamal Fenner, head coach of the LBJ Jaguars, here on Light the Tower, here on the Horn with Craig Way and Jeff Howe. And Snoop Daniel with a question for the head coach. Coach, um, what do you do on game days like this? you got the big game tonight. Anything different? Uh, do you talk to the kids before they get to pregame? Or? Uh, we just go through our regular routine. I'm a routine coach. I think you don't make it bigger than what it is, and you just get the kids to understand that they just need to – you know, focus on their job, play their game, and uh, just go out and have fun. You know, it's another opportunity to play another game. Oh, and actually, I forgot the question I wanted to ask. I wanted to ask about C5. Uh, uh, Christian, like he came to us from the San Antonio area, but it really seems like he's assimilated. I think it started maybe back in state 707s, but what is your assessment on number five for you? Yeah, very young, talented. He's a sophomore, and uh, he played varsity, you know, last year as a freshman. And came right in and proved himself, you know, throughout the offseason and in 707. And, yeah, we feel like he's a kid that can cover very well. Uh, he's ahead of his time. And I think he's going to be another big-time DB to come out of LBJ. I would imagine Christian Watson, who we're speaking of there, has been able also to learn from 
those two seniors and the ju and the junior for Tumakuba on the opposite corner, and then from Noah Baker and Hawthorne, Gary on Hawthorne, uh, your two senior leaders as safeties. I mean, uh, a sophomore can't help but get better by being around those guys, right? Absolutely. You know, I think those guys have really kind of embraced him and put their arms around him, and they have a we have a really good chemistry and unit back there in the secondary. Visiting with Jamal Finner a couple more minutes. Uh, Coach, let's get your thoughts on Elgin. Uh, this has uh, been quite an interesting story going from winless to, to the turnaround and Coach Kloss and the things he's done there. Uh, what what do you look at when you see the Wildcats on tape? Yeah, uh, I see a team that's playing with a ton of confidence. You know, they're playing physical and they're flying around. You know, I, I don't think that they're scared of any opponents that they've played and they come and they're going to give their best game plan and, and you know, try to perform at the best level. So, a uh, ton of respect for what Coach Clarkson is doing with that program to get the turn around. And uh, they deserve the success that they've had up to this point. All right. Uh, it is LBJ tonight, 7.30 kickoff, 7.15 to booth. Rodney Rodriguez and Jason Asur with the call on Coke FM this week. Coke FM, 98.5 and 99.3 FM. Two frequencies there for you, 98.5 FM, 99.3 FM on Coke FM, LBJ and Elgin in the bi-district round of the playoffs. Jamal, I appreciate the time. Thanks so much. Best of luck. We'll look forward to visiting with you again next week. Yes, sir. Appreciate y'all. Thank you. All right. That's Jamal Fenner, head coach of the LBJ Jaguars. And, uh, Snoop, um, the Jags, according to the computer – yeah. are 42 points better than Elgin. Hmm. <laughs> I like your response on that. Hmm. Well, hmm. not quite not quite the response I had to you guys to that Gerald went over to Yeah, Vaughan, why don't it? we get to that? <laughs> uh, it, you know, even though I said that the um, – even though I said the uh, the conversation with Sonny Dykes, and it was a good chat that they have with the uh, Horn Frogs head coach, it, it, even though I said that was – a Longhorn notebook. We have to have a real Jeff Howe Longhorn notebook here in a moment. But before we get to that, I mean, it was Snoop who did text it last night after the 32, well, there was 41 seconds left as this uh, picture came up, 41 seconds to go in the ball game. And uh, on the clock, it showed visitor 32, Hawks uh, 14 there. And uh, it was – and, of course, that would have been more horses in this case, beating Divine. But uh, it said, upset alert, Cougars take down number one seed, Divine. That was from Snoop. And um, Jeff had his I just, response. I spoke the truth. No, you, you knowing, don't know Knowing that. how things go on the bad side of FM 47. Okay. I just said there's going to be some people rolling in the hay with their sister in oh, northern Williamson oh, County right. to celebrate. All right. It's, it ain't it ain't me. It ain't the uh, – it ain't talking smack if it's true. <laughs> you do not have empirical evidence of any of that. You, you ever just, been to Jarrow? I've been through it. I actually you ever, been, you ever spent any time in Jarrow? I pictured a barn with a bunch That's, of hay there's in There's plenty it. of empirical evidence <laughs> if you venture that far into northern Williamson County. Listen. And hop, hop thereabouts. They're on to the second round of the playoffs. That's the important thing. Well, good for those, uh, good for those kids over in Jarrow. Yes. I'm sorry that they have to wake up in Jarrow, but. Congratulations on the call. Right. To the sounds of uh, somebody with their sister. <laughs> All right. You didn't have to add to that, Snoop. You know, that, that wasn't necessary to oh, add to that, thank you, Snoop. that point. All right. Uh, can we get to a real Jeff Howe Longhorn Notebook Jeff here? Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. A Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Aaron Bowersock, the home loan 
expert. Check her out on the web at bowersockteam.com. See if she can do for you what she did for Linda and me, and that's to get us into our home with that home loan approval just like that. She is, after all, your Longhorn lender who can guarantee that home loan approval in 10 days. Check her out on the web at bowersockteam.com. Three matchups to watch uh, when Texas takes on TCU tomorrow. I know we're up against it, so I'll try to make this as tidy as possible. Uh, Matchup number one, how about the Texas edges against Max Duggan in the run game? This is the one thing, Craig, he got banged. We saw him run wild on Oklahoma. He got banged up thereafter. We haven't seen him run a ton. He had eight. Eight carries for 29 yards against Texas Tech, so he didn't wasn't just running wild. You throw in the sack yardage, I think it was like 12 for six. But uh, if he's healthy, that's really to me that's the X factor with TCU offensively that we really don't know how healthy is Max Duggan, and if he's healthy, how much of the quarterback run game do Sonny Dykes and Garrett Riley want to use? Because we've seen Max Duggan in the past run wild on Texas, and we know he's capable of it. Uh, Duggan Craig on the year. Just in terms of his rushing attempts, you take out sack yardage. He's 49 for 402, 6.3 per carry, four touchdowns on scrambles, 15 scrambles this season for 116 yards. All that data according to Pro Football Focus. So that's one, that's that's number one because it's it's the unknown. I just I think about it. I just have a big question mark above my head when I think about the Texas edges defending Max Duggan in the run game. Matchup number two will stay along the line of scrimmage. Kendra Miller against Jalen Ford and the interior Texas defensive line. I'm going to throw a stat at you, Craig. Uh, Kendra Miller averaging 2.65 yards before contact per rushing attempt. Mm. B. John Robinson's at 1.78 this year. They're getting a push. Yeah. So it, it is imperative. If you want to make the kind of adjustments that I think you need to make to give yourself the best opportunity to win by – playing a little more dime, like I've said throughout the week. Even if it's – saw Mo Blackwell last week at K-State. Even if you're using Mo Blackwell, playing some big dime, you can't do that if you can't defend the run with a lighter box. So, Kendra Miller, I mean, we talk about Bijan's missed tackle numbers and all that stuff. If you let him get going, he's got 53 forced missed tackles on the season. That's 11th in the FBS, 604 yards after contact. That's top 10 in the FBS this year. So, Don't let him get started. Craig, Texas has been so good this year on uh, yards before contact per rushing attempt. Uh, This is just what they've done this year. I'm going to run some of these numbers down real quick. Against Louisiana Monroe, and this is according to Bill Connolly at ESPN, against ULM, 0.6. Against UTSA, 0.6. West Virginia, 0.8. Oklahoma, 1.9. Iowa State, 1.2. Kansas State, 1.7. Texas Tech, 0.9. Oklahoma State, 0.9. The only team that's averaged more than 1.9 yards per uh, before contact per attempt on Texas is Alabama at 4.7. And that's just because nobody got a hand on Jace McClellan on that 81-yard touchdown run. So if you want to do, if you want to follow the plan, I think you need to plan. Got to stop Kendra Miller with your down defenders and Jalen Ford. They've got to be on top of it. Matchup number three. Uh, I'm going to stick with the TCU offense, Craig. I, I just think again, I think this is so pivotal. I'm going to go the TCU slot receivers, Darius Davis and Tay Barber against the Texas secondary. Look, we talked a lot about defending the middle of the field, and they mm-hmm. need to be better there. This is not, especially if Quentin Johnston is out or limited, they're going to go to these two guys, very similar to how Oklahoma State attacked Texas. And we saw John Paul Richardson and Brennan Presley, we saw their slot receivers just eat Texas alive over the middle of the field. Uh, you've got two of two of the 12 highest-graded receivers in the Big 12, according to Pro Football Focus, Tay Barber, number seven, Darius Davis, number 12. 
Barber, 177 of his 181 snaps have come in the slot for Davis. It's 274 of 284. So these guys will be inside. In terms of yards after the catch per reception, they're one and two in the Big 12. Uh, in terms of yards per route run, they're fifth and seventh in the Big 12. They're not going to run a lot of vertical stuff, but these guys will, for- with the nature of this air raid offense, they will force you to make tackles in space. And if you miss, if you don't rally to the ball, if you're not sound, they will take the slant, the glance, whatever it is, and they'll turn it from a five-yard catch into a 70-yard touchdown. So that those are my three matchups. Again, it's all the Texas defense defending TCU offensively, but that's really where Texas has got to be buttoned up, especially, Craig, when you look at the numbers. TCU's pretty bad defensively, and, and we'll get to that in keys to the game, but that's why I'm focused so much on the Texas defense against the TCU offense. If they can play uh, an effective game there against them, then you're right. Then then uh, I like their chances uh, against TCU's defense with what the Longhorns are capable of offensively. Yep. All right, uh, so there is uh, dyed in the wool, you know, Jeff Howe Longhorn notebook for you for this hour. We'll have another one next hour. The keys to the game. Three keys to a Longhorn victory. So we'll have uh, that coming up uh, next hour. Um, you know, uh, up next is inconceivable, and it is Friday. So, Snoop, what does Friday mean? Lassid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Got a little bit of Floridian uh, flaccidity there for folks. Because we go to the most flaccid state in the lower 48, and we grab that low-hanging fruit from Florida on a Friday. That's up next when we continue from Pluckers, the research a location. They're going to get ready to pop the doors at 11 o'clock uh, for regular folk uh, to come on in and uh, have a great lunch. Of course, we'll do our uh, wing folk luncheon coming up after we get done uh, off the air at noon. We'll continue live at the tower here on the Horn, 1049, 1019, AM 1260, live local and digital on the Horn app and at Horn FM. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. We know what it means on Friday. All you have to do with inconceivable when it comes to Friday is ask Snoop Daniel what Friday means with inconceivable. Snoop. Flaccid. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, three kinds of Florida flaccidity this morning. However, first of all, some good news. This is this is good stuff, and and this would really interest Jeff Howe, being the sports collectible enthusiast that he is. Oh, okay. What do we got? Um, well, this is a pretty interesting deal. A Massachusetts woman who lives in Cape Cod was doing some renovation, some home renovation, and so uh, she behind the double ovens. There was an open space, and there was a gap in the top. Was it a Dutch oven by any chance? It just said a double oven. Okay. Uh, all right. So, um, and uh, there was a gap at the top, and when they were clearing out, all of a sudden they reached up there and they found something uh, that felt kind of smooth and hard and metal, and they pulled it out, and it was a trophy. The trophy was a trophy that was awarded back, I believe, in the 60s to Boston Celtics Hall of Famer, uh, New York University alumni, Tom Satch Sanders. 
huh. and and Kate Conway was renovating the kitchen. She found it behind the, these built-in ovens there, and uh, it was this big silver cup uh, that was that was uh, awarded him. And so they contacted him. Of course, he, he's still with us, the Hall of Famer. And uh, he had owned the house a long time ago, but sold it in 2003. It was a trophy bowl described. So it's been in hiding for at least 20 years. And so she wanted to get it back to him. He said, I always thought about the